You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. We are so glad you are here. It has been uh, just a blessing We've been praying for you. You are an answer to prayer by coming and joining with us today. It's fall, it's back to church, it's back to school, and today we're launching a brand new fall series that we are calling Everyday Faith. And we're going to talk about, for the next eight or nine weeks, the idea of taking our faith seriously wrestling with our faith, staying checked in in our faith, and holding on to our faith. And this series is based on the book of James, and we have a copy of the book of James for every single one of you. They're out in the lobby. If you didn't grab one, seriously, right now you can stand, you can go grab one. We got people at the other doors that won't let you leave, but um, no, we want you to have a copy. And I, I know with the lights, it's hard to tell, but the idea here is that on one side of the scripture... Uh, you can uh, read the scripture, and on the other side, you can take notes and uh, write uh, takeaways or things to think about or questions. And really, what happens is these little tools, they become a treasure for us that we can go back to in our walk with the Lord, and we want that to be the case. In regards to the book of James, this is one practical book. It deals with everyday issues. In fact, some commentators call it the most practical book of all of the New Testament. And they relate it, actually, to the book of Proverbs. So like Old Testament, Proverbs, a book of wisdom. James, a book of wisdom as well. Because it talks about things like taming our tongue. Who's ever had an issue uh, with your tongue? Like, you know, you know, just keeping it under control. Come on. Uh, am, I, am I talking to the right people? Yes, thank you. Uh, all of our... Uh, board members were like, yes, that's, that's us. Thank you, Ed, for being honest. Yes. Uh, but it talks about not showing favoritism or how to let works be a part of our lives, but not it be the main thing. It talks about widows and orphans and how we should interact there. It talks about the end times for those that love that. And it talks about being a doer of the word. It's packed full. And we are going to be studying this all the way up to uh, through uh, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, we'll have a Christmas series. And before we get to the actual reading of today's uh, message, today is a day of introduction in some ways, there are three important questions that as we launch this series that we really need to uh, get answers for. And the first one is this, who is James? Now, if you're James in the room, just raise your hand. Let me see how many James. I know we've got a few. Uh, this is not your book. This is James from the Bible. Come on. And uh, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. Let me help you get your mind around this. We know that Jesus, according to Scripture, was born of a virgin, right? But then Mary and Joseph, they did get married, and they had kids, had multiple kids, and uh, James was one of those brothers. And then in the book of Acts, as we see the new church after Jesus uh, uh, is risen, goes to heaven, uh, the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, James becomes a huge part of the early church. But that wasn't always the case. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says that Jesus' brothers did not believe in Jesus. 
saying, huh, really? This is early on in his ministry. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, you can write these verses down uh, to kind of look at them. Jesus' family says that Jesus was out of his mind. You're saying, well, why would they say he's out of his mind? Or why didn't they believe in Jesus? It's because Jesus, from early on in his ministry, he claimed to be God. He claimed deity. And for James, there was an important transformation that happened. Something huge happened. The resurrection of Jesus. After he died and was buried, he came back from the dead. And it changed everything for James. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus appears, it says, to the 500 at a time, and then he appears to James specifically, and then to the apostles. And James became a central leader in Jerusalem, a pillar of the church. In fact, James believed in his brother so much that he died for his faith in Jesus. He was martyred. He gave his life believing that Jesus, his brother, was the Son of God. That'll blow your mind if you think about it. The second question we need to answer is, to whom is James writing? Well, James stayed in Jerusalem, uh, most commentators believe, and out of Jerusalem, uh, the church scattered because of trials and temptation, not temptation, but just a lot of uh, issues in the church, and uh, there was a lot of persecution and things like that. And James, he's writing to the church, Big C, to a church that had been scattered. We're going to read it in a minute. It says the 12, uh, uh, 12 tribes of the dispersed. That's the 12 churches that had been established outside of the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And James, really, we need to understand, was written to Christians found everywhere until Jesus returns. And that would include us. This is for God's people to learn and for us to grow together. And we're going to talk about that. The third question is, why did James write this? Well, the Jewish believers... Uh, uh, believed that, um, that the church was growing, but they weren't, it wasn't without issues. There were personal issues. Uh, there were church-related issues. There was testing and trials and temptations. We'll talk about that today. They were showing favoritism. There was confusion about doing and hearing the word. Worldliness had crept in for sure. And overall, I believe the reason that James wrote this is because the Christians that, he, that were scattered were simply not growing in their faith. They were spiritually immature. James is writing with the hopes that there would be stability, balance, maturity among the believers. Wearsby, one of the commentators I've enjoyed over, over time, he said, said this, that he's convinced that spiritual immaturity is the number one problem in our churches. That will settle heavy. Let's talk about the last couple of years just for a brief second. We have gone through it as a church and uh, as a people and as a nation, as a really worldwide with COVID and politics and racial issues and all these things. And what we have said here in a lot of churches have identified is that the, all of these things have exposed our weaknesses. We've had, we have a discipleship uh, disorder. <laughs> we, we, we have some shortfalls where we thought maybe we were here, uh, but we're, not, we're only here. Uh, we've got some growth to do. We've got some work to do. 
In fact, I was thinking about it this week as I was putting my notes together. I was thinking, okay, what's the greatest compliment you could give someone that calls themselves a believer? This is important. Listen, I believe that the highest compliment you could give a Christian is that they are stable. Stability is a virtue. Standing, firm, immovable, not tossed to and fro, overcoming resistance. Come on. This is where we're going to focus in the idea with everyday faith, the idea that we are going to grow, we're going to be strong, a witness to others. We're attractive to pre-believers, those that may not know the Lord yet but are coming uh, to know Jesus. We're, we're going to uh, have strong families and strong uh, work environments, and life will be good because of the stable nature of it. And so with that, let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to get right to it. On page 6 in your uh, ESV study journals, you can look there, or the words will be on the screen as well. Let's read this together. I'm going to ask that you stand to honor God's Word, and uh, let's read. It says, James, a servant of God, And of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just notice, he doesn't say, uh, I'm the brother of Jesus. He's a servant, just like we are servants of Jesus as well. He says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, that's the 12 churches that were uh, going. And really, this letter would have been taken to church, to church, to church. And it's right here. We're going to study it as well. And this is what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you're taking notes or or you've got a pen, you can circle that word. I've got it circled, or not circled, underlined, highlighted. And then it says in verse 4, and let steadfastness, the second time you see that word, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea is driven uh, back and tossed back and forth by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast of his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, excuse me, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in with scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Third time we've seen that word, under trial. For when he is... stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my brother, uh, my beloved brothers. Every good gift is, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought... Uh, of his own will, he brought us forth by his word of truth, and we should be kind 
be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's powerful. It's effective. Uh, just I pray that you would reveal to us exactly what you want us to hear and put it into action today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You can be seated this morning. Right out of the gate, James hits us hard with application talking about trials and temptations. And let's just take a quick poll. How many of you are in a trial right now in your life? Come on, let me see your hands. All right, all right, leave your hand up. How many of you have been in a trial before? Put your hand up. And then you can't, if you got both hands up, that's okay. And if you're going into a trial and you already see it, uh, or even if you don't, the fact is you're gonna be in a trial at some point. It's just the fact of life. We're gonna talk about it in a second. Let's talk about temptation. We all are subject to temptation as well. We've all been tempted. You don't have to raise your hand about that. But these two realities are part of our everyday faith. We've got to get our mind around these things. And James, as he's starting this letter to the churches, he takes some time in his intro first to talk about trials. And I've got some news for you that might shock some of you. You may have never heard this, but this is true according to Scripture. God absolutely allows trials in our lives, the testing of our faith. Hmm. It should be no surprise to you. How many of you are parents in the room? You've raised some kids or you are raising some kids? How many know that we allow our kids to experience a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering? How many know we send our kids to school and it should be hard to some extent? When our kids get old enough, in our house, we've experienced this with both Reagan and Logan, uh, we said it was important for them to get a job, a J-O-B, right? And the job might be tough. You got to work for somebody. You got to do the work. But it was important for them to experience that kind of experience, right? Even if you got younger kids helping around the house, it can be a real pain, but it's important for our kids to learn. And I'm just convinced that as parents, it's our job at times to give our kids a little trial here and there. And when they get snarky, when they get a little, um, you know, out of order, um, you just got to lean in and say, you know, son or daughter, um, and Logan's here, um, and I've said this to you before, I'll say, look, uh, you think life is hard now? I can make it a lot harder. (laughs) And uh, parents, I give you the permission to speak that into your kids. Uh, Maybe not when they're like babies, but when they get a little older. All right. Because we want our kids to grow up to be great adults. Come on. Can I get an amen? Able to pay their own bills. Come on, everybody. To be self-sustaining, stable adults So we allow our kids to go through a few tests, and the same is true with our Heavenly Father. In fact, I'm convinced that if we never experience trial, we will never be effective in our lives. So we need to, number one, recognize what is really going on. Let's look at it. James uh, 1 verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, everybody say when, 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that's stability, that's balance, that's maturity, that's what that means. In other words, we need to get over the distraction of whatever is happening, the test that's in our way, and we need to see what is developing, and we need to be persevering, we need to learn the character traits to be stable. And that's a different way to look at it, right? Because well, a lot of times we see a trial and we're like, oh, this sucks, or this is so hard, and we get bogged down. Instead, we need to have a set of eyes that say, okay, God, what are you doing here? Lord, help us. And it says that we should change our perspective to joy, which is a choice. Rooted in the fact that Jesus is with us, we don't have control in a lot of ways, but joy is an outward expression, not a denial of our reality. We can have joy in the midst of trial, according to this. So we recognize, and then number two, we cooperate with God's process, right? Look at verse four. It says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How many think that sounds pretty good? Lacking nothing. Mature, complete. It sounds pretty good. We want this personally. We want this for our family. We want this for our church, for our community. But there's a price to pay when it comes to stability. And we see it in a few other places in Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says this. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. In other words, there's value in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and, and character produces hope. It's a different mindset. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, if this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little uh, while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Sounds like our lives, right? So that the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to be result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I've realized over time, as I've grown up and just, you know, it just, uh, you know, not that I've arrived, but I've realized that oftentimes the best things in our lives come from seasons of pain and suffering and even darkness. You say, that sounds backwards. That doesn't sound right. Well, the truth is, is that in those seasons where it's dark or hardships, our, re our reality, we actually grow. We lean in. We've, we are forced to see God, right? And we recognize, and then we cooperate. And then, if we're smart, we do the next step. We ask God for help. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. What a promise. Let me ask you a question. When you have a trial, when you have a circumstance that's tough, you've got a mountain in your way, something's happening at work, something's happening in your home or in your finances or your relationships, how long does it take you to turn to the Lord? How many times do we try to fix it ourselves and then when we get stuck, then we turn to God? No. We need to ask for God for wisdom right away. Say, God, help us. 
In fact, I'll just be real transparent. We, Jessica and I, in our family, we've been in a little trial. You guys have been walking with us. You're aware of some of the issues that, are, uh, that we've been facing. And literally this week, Jessica asked me in a, in a moment on our couch in our living room, she said, she said Ben, you've got to tell me something positive because it seems so hard, so, it's so difficult. And I'd been studying about this, and I, and I just said, look, we need to be looking for God. What are you teaching us? Where's the wisdom? What do we need to learn in this season? And we need to all do that. And not only do we need to ask for help, we need to keep a good attitude about it. Verse 6, 6 and through 8, and then 12 says this. It says, but we let him ask in faith, not doubting, right? So we don't ask not believing. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything. It's all about attitude. It's saying, okay, all right, I'm going to ask with a good attitude, not being a double-minded person, unstable. No, I'm going to have some stability. I'm going to ask God for his strength. We're going to believe and have faith with an attitude. God is saying in the storm, believe and watch your attitude. It's a sign of stability. When trials come, which they will, it's all about these things. And while James is writing in his introduction, he's, it's almost like he says, and oh, by the way, not only will there be trials, there will also be temptations. And that's where we pick it up. And we need to recognize the source of the temptation. Verse 13 says this. It says, let no one, when he is tempted, uh, say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So there's going to be temptation as well. Surprise. But we need to understand where that comes from. It comes from the enemy who lures us in, right? Now, the devil doesn't make us do anything. It's our choice. But the devil, he is creative in some ways, not so creative in others, but he's often very sneaky. And the bottom line is, according to Scripture, he wants to destroy our lives. And he comes at us oftentimes, at least in my case, with the same temptations over and over and over. I was thinking about it. For over 20 years, there are things that I've struggled with. And uh, when, when Satan is tempting, it's often in the same ways. Now, for me, I'm not a person that grew up around drugs and alcohol. And, uh, and so drugs and alcohol, to me, uh, have very little appeal. Um, and and I've not was, I was not exposed to those things. And so for me, uh, that was, that's really not a temptation. Although, I mean, anything could happen. But, but when it comes to pride, oh, man. My family of origin, my growing up, I've shared this before, growing up, I thought I was better than other people, I'm I'm sad to say. In the same way, my family was awesome, and I love my parents, and they're on first service uh, online watching, they're in Georgia now, but they, uh, in our house, we, I didn't watch a PG-13 movie until after I was married. And so cursing wasn't a big issue to me. But I've walked with a few of you where cursing is an issue, and it'll slip out here and there. And uh, in fact, um, someone that I'm kind of close to is like, man, I try not to curse around you too much, Pastor Ben. (laughs) And I appreciate that. But cursing, it's not on my lips typically. In fact, it's only a handful of times. In fact, uh, 
this is my father-in-law up here. I think you've only heard me swear one time. You remember about that? You don't remember? Thank the Lord. <laughs> we were moving you guys from Kalamazoo in the basement. Or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was uh, Uncle Mike. I think it was Uncle Mike. Yeah, it wasn't you. And uh, that's, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, it's rare. It's rare that I'll, I'll curse. But gossip or temptations with money? There are other things that get me, right? I was putting my notes here that pornography, for a lot of people, will trip you up, right? But others, it won't be an issue, and it's just the way it is. And Satan, he knows exactly how to tempt each of us according to uh, what will snare us, what will uh, be attractive to us, and we need to recognize that, recognize the source. The second thing is we need to understand the process of temptation. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says this, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. There's four stages here. Everybody say with me. Number one, temptation. Check. Come on, everybody say it. Check, right? And the fact is, we're all going to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. And I would say, if you are tempted a lot, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it could be good because you're taking ground for the kingdom of God. If you're not being tempted all that much and you're just kind of moving through life, maybe you need to stand up and tell someone about Jesus or, or uh, start, uh, start doing some work to, to uh, advance the kingdom of God. And I promise you, the enemy is not going to be happy and he's going to come in and probably tempt you. The second thing is fantasy. Everyone say, check. check. It says to be lured or enticed. That means the idea like, what if? What if I drank it? Or I smoked it? Or slept with it? Or watched it? I don't have my phone with me, but I often will hold up my phone. I'm like this stupid phone. How many of you guys ever have a love-hate relationship with your phone, okay? I mean, it can do good. It can also be so tricky. Facebook. Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, the list goes on, right? It often starts with our eyes. Matthew 6, says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, if you're moving towards sin, if you're getting tempted, if you're you know, in that fantasy stage, it gives some interesting concepts. It says to flee. In this case, flee from sexual immorality. Some people think in regards to uh, uh, sexual things that the grass is greener on the other side. I heard one pastor, this is a while back, that said, yeah, the grass might be greener on the other side, but their water bill is too high. You can't afford it. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's good. 2 Timothy 2.2, again, says to flee, to run. Look what it says. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord 
from a pure heart. This is a word from the Lord for someone here, maybe multiple people. You're in it, you're in that fantasy stage, and the word of the Lord is run. Stop it. You are flirting with the edge. And I put in my notes here, do not become a trophy for Satan. The choice is yours. It starts with temptation, moves to fantasy, and then, according to Scripture, then sin. Number three, everyone say check. (laughs) And we've all been there. There's not one of us here that's uh, free from sin. And I hate it, especially when there's temptation that comes and it's things that I've dealt with for so long and I hate it. And we can be, it can be a real downer to say, okay, yeah, sin, we cross the line, we all do it. But I do want to remind us what Proverbs 24 verse 16 says. It says, for the righteous falls seven times but rises again. I want this to be my story. That when I slip up, when I go over the edge, I'm quick to have a soft heart and say, Lord, forgive me. Purify my heart. And I just want to say, if you've taken the bait, it's not over. If you've fallen into sin, it's not over. God is not finished with you. In fact, I would say that Jesus sympathizes with your weakness. He was tempted on every front. He didn't sin, but he understood the temptation at least. And if we're not careful and we don't deal with that sin there, the last stage is death. Everyone say death, check, right? It's the worst stage, and yes, it could be physical death. Sin will, can lead to physical death, no doubt. But oftentimes it's spiritual death or emotional death, relational death, financial death. It, those things are more common. It's the worst phase, and it's tricky. Because in our mind, we think one way is right, but then according to Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says, but that ends in death or destruction. And let this just be a warning to you. These stages are important. A pastor I was listening to this week on this topic uh, said that he would write out all of the consequences that if he, that if he went ahead and sinned in the area of temptation, uh, and I don't know what he was dealing with or whatever, but he, lift, he listed out like 14 or 15 things uh, that these would be the consequences that if I sinned, this would happen, including it would destroy his marriage, or it would affect his relationship with his kids. He talked about his church that he led, that it would be a a real uh, smear for the community. It would affect the relationship. And then he just listed all these things that if he did this, and this is something I haven't done, but I I want to do this, just saying, okay, if if I fall into temptation and I move past temptation and actually sin, it's not going to look good. My counselor says that's kind of like working upstream, and we'll talk about that in a second. When it comes to temptations, we need to recognize the source, understand the process, and ultimately, we need to learn to overcome temptation. And I just want to say, it's totally possible to overcome temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 There are two promises in this one verse. Let's look at it. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So what you're dealing with is normal. 
You don't have to feel bad about being tempted. But it says God is faithful. And number one, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's first. But with the temptation, he will also, number two, provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. He's with us. He helps us. Again, it's this idea of working upstream, countering things with God's word, developing healthy relationships. That's why we're so, we're so passionate about small group season, about being together. Because when you're together and you share your life, the chances of you falling are less. Or at least if you do fall, someone's there to help you up. If you're the only one who knows your secrets, you are in trouble. We need each other. And so these are the things, trials and temptation, that James starts his book with. Addressing everyday faith. But I want you to know that it's all rooted in something very important. And I'm going to ask the worship team to join me as we close today. The key... What all of this is all about, it's rooted and found in Jesus. It's not just about following a bunch of rules. No. John 14, 15, shed some light on this. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's about loving Jesus. If our relationship with Jesus is strong, he will be our foundation he will be the one that we can rely on. And we lo- the more we love Jesus, the commands, they become a byproduct of that. That's our everyday faith. Strength, even in temptation. Strength, even in trials. I realized as I was preparing to launch a series that even right from the get-go, that this message and our messages following Absolutely, our life-saving messages for someone. And it might be a life-saving message for you today. There's three ways that that might be the case. Number one, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you need Jesus. That's, we're throwing you a lifeline. We're saying, hey, we want to introduce you to Jesus who died for your sins and he wants to come in and be a part of your life. The second thing is, is if you are facing trials and you've been discouraged and maybe your head's in the sand today, Jesus is here to give you fresh perspective, to walk alongside you, to say, hey, you are not alone. He'll help you through the trial. And thirdly, if you're in the midst of temptation, and you're somewhere in that process, and maybe it's fantasy, maybe you've already stepped over the line, or maybe you feel like you're, you're dead in the water. Today, this is a life-saving message that Jesus is a God who forgives. He comes alongside of us. He is our firm foundation. I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask that you keep the lights on just for a second here. If you're here, oh, too late, sorry. It's okay, well, there you go, good, sorry. With your head bowed and eyes closed. I'm curious, if you're here today, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I just want to encourage you 
that Jesus, he's been pursuing you. He loves you more than you would ever know. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we've all made mistakes. We all need a savior and Jesus is that savior. And if you're here and you're saying, okay, pastor, I, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm just gonna ask you to boldly just raise your hand right where you are. Who here, second service, saying, yep, that's me, yes. Who else saying yes to Jesus today? And it just, yes, thank you. Just raise your hand. If you're online, which I hope for you're sticking with me, just say, I need Jesus. And we'll follow up with you. We want to pray with you. We want to, we've got some resources we can send your way. Anyone else? There's a, just a handful of people, two, three in the room. And we're grateful for that. You can put your hands down. Secondly, if you're here and you are saying, I'm in a trial and I could really use some fresh perspective. I could really use Jesus' help. Would you just be honest and raise your hand right where you are? Yeah. Hands all over. Sure. Absolutely. God knows right where you are. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Again, if you're online, you can say, yes, I'm in a trial, and we're gonna, you're just included in this. We want you to be a part. And then thirdly, with that, again, with your head bowed and eyes closed, this is, this is important. If you're in a season of temptation or sin has got the best of you, you're saying, all right, enough is enough, or I need your help, Lord, would you just raise your hand as well? Yeah, thank you for being honest. Yes, thank you. Yeah, totally. I mean, who hasn't been there? And if you're there today, just acknowledge. Awesome. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand, and now you can turn the lights a little lower. Uh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to pray a quick prayer of salvation, and then after I say amen, uh, I'm going to ask you, if you raise your hand for salvation, if you raise your hand saying, I'm in the trial, or if I'm in a temptation uh, season, I'm going to ask that you step out of, from where you are and just find yourself up here on the gray carpet, and just be come at the altar, and you say, do I have to do that? That seems weird or odd. No. You don't have to, but it is something when you step out. It's like you're kicking kicking Satan right in the teeth and saying, okay, I've had enough, and uh, I'm, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And the song we're about to sing is a song that has been very meaningful to us as a staff, my family. Uh, the song is called Firm Foundation. And the song, literally, there's a part that's, that talks about um, when the wind gets tough and when it seems like it's raining down hardship. Literally, last night, Jessica and I are in our driveway pulling in. We're listening to the song and we pulled in the driveway and we just sat there before the song was done, teared up, just saying, okay, God, you've got to be our foundation for the trial that we're facing. Anyway, lost my train of thought. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to sing after I pray. For those that raise your hand for any of those things, or even if you didn't, you just want to step out, we're going to ask you to move to the altars and just say, okay, God, you are my foundation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those that are seeking you, those that are responding to a salvation call. I pray that they would find you in this moment. 
confess their sins. And Lord, I pray that you would save them, do a mighty work in their lives. And Lord, no matter what we're facing, Lord, we want you to be our foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together. Second Timothy chapter 2 that says that if we die with you we will also reign with you that if we endure if we persevere then we will reign with you if we disown you you'll disown us but Lord when we are faithless when we are doubting when we're not sure when we're stuck in worry and anxiety Lord that it says you remain faithful yes. because you can't disown yourself. So Lord, we thank you for those times where we lack faith, where we go through trials, where we're trying to persevere, because Lord, it's no longer our faith that we are standing on, but it's on your faith that we stand on. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful, despite when we're doubting, despite when we're broken, despite whatever we're facing or whatever we're going through, Lord. Lord, and we thank you that strength truly comes whenever we're tested, whenever we go through trials, Lord. That it's those who try to resist, it's those who try to stand. Whenever the waves are coming, whenever the wind is coming, whenever the storms are coming, who are really showing how strong they are. So Lord, help us not to be people who are blown around in the waves. Help us to not be people who just succumb at the first trial, at the first temptation, Lord, but help us to be people who stand strong in you, on your firm foundation, on your lordship, on your faithfulness, on your goodness, and on your love, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that when we do struggle, when we do fall, whenever we do make mistakes, that you are there to pick us up and to dust us off. Lord, we thank you. We praise you today. Help us to go and live this out and be salt and light to a lost, hurting, and broken world. And we are going out to the waves, Lord, so help us be people who are steady in the storms that even others can cling to in hope as we show them who you are as our Lord. We give you the praise and glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us, uh, with us this morning. You can go in the grace of God. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.